0: Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Tonight we're talking about evil. Kelipot and sitra athra, In other words, evil. Now, let's, you know what, let's go right into the text tonight. God is good. And it's the nature of God to be good. So, if God is good and the nature of God is to be good, why would God create evil? A very simple question. You know, the Greeks, no pun intended, the Greeks, Hanukkah Greeks, they couldn't figure it out because they thought that how could it be that the same God could be kind and severe. How can the same God be good and evil? You have one God that's good and one God that's evil. And essentially the Christians also kind of adopted that idea of good and evil. The idea of good and evil in Judaism is very, very different than all other ideas. Maybe a little more Eastern in its idea. So we live in a world which is full of injustice and where the wicked have the upper hand. So, was this truly the intention of the Creator? Was this truly the reason to be in this world? Is it some kind of godly comedy show? I'm going to put you in this world, I'm going to give you the evil, and you're going to have a field day. You're going to have a, uh, uh, you know, let's see what happens. Let's put a bunch of... uh, uh, monkeys in a cage, so to speak, and uh, see them fight to the finish. It's not, you know, there's a, there's a student at Concordia, and he's uh, a science student, and he loves, he has these gerbils, or hamsters, and he does his tests on these hamsters, and all, every day he comes, he says, the hamsters this, and the hamsters do that, and they're chasing each other, and doing this, and he tells me every week all these different stories about his hamsters that he's doing his, uh, his tests on. And, Is that really, I think to myself, is that really what it was intended to be? Is that really what our life was intended to be? So classical Jewish philosophy answers the following. That because God is good, and it is God's nature to do goodness, God created the world in order to bestow goodness upon his creations. The greatest possible goodness that God can bestow upon creation is the goodness that is himself. Let's go on. In order to earn that reward, so that it should not be what the Zohar, what Kabbalah calls bread of shame, or an unearned reward, God first placed us in an arena of free choice where we have to make an effort to choose good over evil. Such choice is rewarded in the world to come, where the soul is divest of all physicality and basks in the light of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, honestly earning such rewards during the struggles in this world. The creation of evil is therefore a necessity in order to maintain the arena of free choice, the stepping stone to the ultimate reward. In this view, Man's mission is to stare through the pitfalls and temptations of this world through the adherence of Torah and mitzvot. Tonight, it just so happens to be that it's Hanukkah. I don't want to go into the whole story of Hanukkah, but a lot of people think that it was one of those typical Jewish stories. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. (laughs) the story of Hanukkah is a very powerful story because if you look at Jewish history you're going to see a very different story than maybe what's portrayed to us in the comics or in in, in the popular culture idea of Hanukkah a lot of people think that the Jews were on the brink of annihilation that is true in Persia in the story of Purim It is true. Haman and Achashverosh wanted to destroy the Jewish people completely. But that's not so in the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah is much more subtle. Antiochus, who was the king of the Assyrian Greek Empire at the time, he had no intention of destroying the Jewish people. On the contrary, he loved the Jews. He loved the Jews so much, he wanted them to be Greek. It wasn't their bodies he was after, but rather their souls. Antiochus felt that if he could create a world, a society, where the Jews would adhere to popular culture and would become part of the Greek or the Assyrian Greek way of life, then there would be a better world, because the Jews had so much to contribute to society. And so what he did was, he started an incredible PR war, attacking the Jewish people, who at that time were very ghettoized, really shtetlized. I don't want to go through the whole story, but they were very insular. And he started attacking them and started saying, you know, join the gyms, what's well, free for our Jewish customers, join the arenas, free for our Jewish customers. And he started enticing them. To what happened was the greatest time in Jewish history before our world, shockingly, that there was assimilation to the extent that there is in this world today, was the time of Hanukkah. The assimilation was at something like 80%. They were called Hellenists. They were people who were Jewish by birth, but completely assimilated into popular culture, completely assimilated into society. And these people had very little idea or desire to be part of the Jewish people. And essentially, Antiochus won his war. He, he went after the Jews, and he won it. And there was a little, there was a little more extreme. He forbade certain things. There wasn't, free, there wasn't a free country like we have here, that we live and we can do and practice our, our faith as we wish. There he had... He had abolished particular laws, and essentially he said, study the Torah. This Torah is a really good thing. It's a great intellectual pursuit, but don't practice. Just study. It's interesting. Isn't it good? It'll make your mind sharper. It'll make your, your feelings uh, more inspired, but don't, don't practice. Just study. And he was a man of, of great intellect. I mean, the, some of the greatest philosophers came from that time. And that was what he saw. He saw the Torah as another philosophy. It's called the Jewish philosophy. And study this philosophy as we study our philosophy. But don't practice. And so he forbade the counting of uh, the, the Jewish calendar. He forbade uh, uh, circumcision. Uh, he forbade uh, a couple of other things. And in, in, in this battle to destroy the idea of Judaism as a faith, as a spiritual practice, as, a, as the things that we know today. He, oh, he, he also forbade Shabbat, he forbade kosher, things that created the Jewish people as a whole. And he was about to win the war. When there was a group of Kohanim, uh, the Chash family, um, the father, his name was Matit Yahu, Chashmanai. He was the Kohen Gadol, he was the high priest. And he realized what was happening. He realized if he didn't take a stance that the Jewish people would be destroyed. And so him and his five sons waged a battle. The battle went on for many, many years. Many years. And eventually... These, the small group, they defeated the Assyrian Greeks. And on the 25th of Kislev, they. On the twenty, can you see it over there? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is Chanukah in Hebrew. Can, can you see? No, I see. <laughs> you Chanukah is Chanu Chafhei. Chafhei is 25. Hanu means rested. Just so you know, where the word Hanukkah comes from, it means they rested on the twenty-fifth. They rested on the twenty-fifth of Kislev. That was the day that the war was over. The war was really over the twenty-fourth. They rested on the twenty-fifth. But what was amazing is that the Greeks, in the process of this whole battle, had gone into the holy temple and defiled the temple, with permission from the Jews, of course. They defiled. They put a pig on the altar. They they, they they smashed anything, they were trying to destroy any remnants of traditional Judaism. So when they came back to the temple to rededicate it, the first thing they wanted to do was to light the menorah, because what was amazing about the menorah, unlike any other vessel in the temple, was number one, the menorah was made from one solid piece of gold, which meant that it was not destroyed. Every other vessel was dismantled. but. The miracle of the menorah is that it was made from one solid piece. So it was, still, it was still there. And then, they wanted to... Also, what was amazing about the menorah is, in general, um, windows in those days were always facing inward. So that way, the light can come from outside and it can expand inside the home. That's how they lit their homes, from natural sunlight. So all the windows, if you ever go in Israel you look around in some of the old buildings, you'll see all the windows, you'll see the windowsills are always facing inward. The temple was the only building in the world at that time where it was facing outward, where the windowsills were going out because of the menorah. The light of the menorah was supposed to spread to the whole world. So they felt that the first way to rededicate the temple was to light the menorah. And so they found, by miracle, one jar, One jar of oil was found. And they had a question. The question was like this. They knew it takes three days to go to Tekoa, which is where they made the oil. To make the oil took one day, and to come back took three days. So it would be seven days before they could make new oil, before they could have new oil. So here's the question. Do we light the menorah today and risk being seven days without light? Or do we wait seven days and light the menorah then so that way we know tomorrow the new oil is coming and then we'll continue flow of light? So, Because the menorah of the temple never went out. They constantly relit it. It was constantly a flame, a light at the, in the temple at all times. So this was the big question. And they debated this at the time. And they decided to light it. And they lit it, and eight days later when the new oil came, it was still burning, and that's how the Chanukiya was invented, to remember the light and the miracle of eight days. I'll go a little step further, you want to go a little Kabbalistic tonight, let's, let's do that. <laughs> there was enough oil for one day, so was the miracle eight days or seven days? So why do we light a hanukkah with eight candles if the miracle was only seven days? <laughs> it's a good answer. Finding the oil alone was a miracle. So the just that that bit of oil was a miracle. You the had
1: those for the original one that they
0: had. But the miracle is really seven days. Yeah. But what Craig is saying is that finding the oil was a miracle on its own. So that became the eighth. Any other ideas? Just curious if you have any other ideas. Eight is like the transcendent number. Seven, infinity. Eight, seven days of creation, infinity. Right. And eight goes beyond that. And... Eight is higher. Yeah. It's interesting. And the te- you know the, te- the menorah in the temple was seven branches, right? That's why this is called the Chanukiah and not a menorah. But the menorah is seven branches, whereas the Chanukiah is nine branches. Any other ideas? I just just as an idea. So they found the oil. And that oil had enough for one day. And they put it in. And it lasted eight days. Miracles. Miracles don't happen from nothing. It wasn't like a flame just appeared at the menorah. They had to find the oil. They had to work and work and work and not give up hope. They spent four days searching for that oil. The miracle happened because they had oil. The miracle didn't happen because the miracle happened. The miracle happened by nature. At that moment, when the high priest lit the menorah in the temple, it became the nature of that oil to burn for eight days instead of one. But they needed the oil. If we want miracles to happen in our lives, we need the oil. We need something physical. That's who we are. We're physical people trying to bring spirituality into a physical world. So there really is a miracle of eight days. Because the first day, as Craig said, the first day, the finding of the oil, having something, having something allows us to be able to see the joy, the love, the excitement of God. If you just decide, they could have looked at the menorah and said, God, this is your temple, come on, get to work, make it happen. But that's not how it works. It has to come from us first. We give a finger, God returns a hand. But we have to give our part first. We can't expect that it's going to happen from nowhere. You want to win the lottery? Buy a ticket. You can't expect that when the last week they had this big thing in the States, I think $500 million. So you can't expect to win $500 million if you don't have the winning ticket. You need to buy a ticket for us. You have to make the physical vessel. Not saying play the lottery. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, the,
2: oil, the oil also represents, uh, like, the essence of God.
0: What's amazing? It's the true. Of God. So oil always rises light. higher, right? Oil always rises above everything. Mm. So oil itself, there's a lot in Kabbalah. There's a lot of talk about oil. And why did they use oil to light the menorah and not something else? Because it's the oil that rises higher, and that's the, like the flame rises higher, the oil also rises higher. But thank you. So let's move forward. God made a physical creation which conceals its divine source, and He placed a soul within a body specifically to refine and elevate the body and its portion in the world. Although the soul will be rewarded for its efforts in the world to come, the ultimate purpose of creation is in this world. The greatest achievement of the soul is to take the corporal and crass body whose inherent nature is animalistic and use it to transform darkness into light and bitterness into sweetness. The soul itself is pristine and holy. And it doesn't require rectification, as we learned from Jacob's Ladder. The soul's descent into this world is for the purpose of ascent. It achieves something here that it cannot possibly achieve in the world to come. Despite being in the lowest of all worlds, one can overcome animal drives and passions to achieve God's purpose in creation. The soul, therefore, strives to perform the true service of God, thereby fulfilling the will of God and creating what we call a dira betachtonim, an abode for the divine here in this world. King Solomon describes it best. In the Song of Songs, he says, it's the state called black but beautiful. As the soul descends into the bleakness and confusion of this world, it realizes that its descent is for the purpose of ascent. The soul sees how much it can accomplish in this world. And the soul says, I want to come into this world because in this world I can make a difference. It's in this world that I can make my mark, can make it better with my unique abilities that no soul has had before me, that no soul will have after me, and no soul has during my lifetime. I have abilities that no one else has. And the soul sees this. And the soul is excited to come down into this world for the duration of time that it's here. Obviously constantly like a flame, constantly trying to return back. Not trying to return back to leave this world, but connected. Here, but connected. One of, uh, when when Rabbi Schneerson, a blessed memory, started sending out rabbis, Chabad rabbis, all over the world to some of the far-flung countries of the world, somebody came to him and said, Rabbi, what are you doing? And he said, I'll give you an example of how strange and difficult what you're doing is. He says, I'll give an example of a hot pot of soup said, your rabbis, they're like a hot pot of soup. If you take them off the burner, eventually they're going to cool off. They're not connected to their source. They're not connected to their family, to their community. You're taking them and putting them into an isolated community with people who don't know and you're expecting them not to cool off. He said, take the hot pot of soup and put it into a cold bathtub. Is what this man said to him. And see what happens. So the rabbi looked at him and he smiled. And he said, Take the hot pot of soup and put it into a cold bathtub. You warm the bathtub. Eventually you're right. (laughs) The soup will cool off, but what if it's still plugged in? What if the pot is still plugged in? What's gonna happen to the bathtub? It'll warm the bathtub. The soul constantly constantly trying to warm the bathtub. The, coal, the soul needs to be connected to its source. And when it's connected to its source, it can inspire, and it can do so much more, so much greater than it can without being connected to its source. And that's the secret here. You see, its descent into the body is dark, yet beautiful, in terms of fulfillment of the purpose in creation. From this perspective, it follows that the presence of forces of evil poses the greatest challenge to the quest to create a home for God. My favorite, the greater the darkness and the stronger the forces of evil, the brighter is the transformation of darkness into brilliance. One of my favorite quotes the greater the darkness and the stronger the forces of evil the brighter is the transformation of that darkness into brilliance during my time as a prison chaplain I saw that the most amidst the greatest darkness you can have the greatest joy the greatest light because here's the big question. Is darkness a creation or is it the absence of light? I'm not going to answer it yet. So Kabbalah uses this term klippa to describe evil. Literally, klippa means peel or shell, as in the peel of a fruit. Think of a fruit, think of a coconut. The coconut has a very hard shell. The shell is so hard that if you want to open the coconut to take from the fruit, you have to smash it with a hammer. That's how hard the shell is. Well, that's essentially what klipa is. You see, An orange will not retain its juice if it does not have such a protective jacket. However, when one eats the orange, one discards the peel. The peel is only there to preserve the fruit. The same is true with the existence of evil. Hasidism uses the terminology as following. This is not specifically a Kabbalistic terminology. It's a Hasidic terminology but it comes from the Kabbalistic source, and I think it it, it fits very well. The first term is called inner will, which is called primiyut haratzon, and the other one is external will, which is yet haratzon. So, when a person goes out to work, they get involved with all the details of making a living. However, they're engaged only with the external will. The inner desire to make money in order to do what they really want. The existence of Klippa stems from the outer will of God, whereas holiness stems from the inner will of God. So how can the same God be good and evil? It's very simple. First of all, we're looking at God from our terms. Our terms are limited to time and place. That's the first thing. We have to establish that. from the beginning, but then there's an outer, a shell, the peel of God, and then there's the inner part of God. Kabbalah divides everything in this world to either the side of holiness or sitra achra, the side of impurity, literally meaning the other side. And I love how there's no negative words in Kabbalah. If you're going to find, if you study Kabbalah, you realize that it's, that it's purity and impurity. There's the other side. That's called evil. And there's never a derogatory. There's no yes and no. There's no good and bad. It's good and not good. And if you're going to study with Kabbalists, with true Kabbalists, if you listen to the way they speak, they never say the word bad, only not good.
3: They won't say the word evil then.
0: They won't say the word evil. The other side, they'll say, Sitra Ahra, which is why I didn't call tonight's talk evil. Because it just doesn't make sense. Instead I called it klipa and Sitra Akhra, which means literally the peel and the other side. But now you understand what I'm talking about. There's nothing that is in between every thought, speech, and action, or creation, that has its source either in Kedusha or Klippan. So, what a thought, speech, and action are the garments of our soul. It's the way our soul communicates with the world. Thought, speech, and action. We have thought, speech, and action in holiness, and we have thought, speech, and action in evil. So, let's just go a little further. The holy side is the indwelling and extension of the holiness of God that rests only on something that abnegates itself completely to Him. Either actually, as in the case of angels above, or potentially, as in the case of every one of us below, who has the capacity to surrender ourselves completely to God with self sacrifice. There's holiness holy, and there's unholy. There are things that are holy in our world, and there are things that are unholy in our world. There are things that are good, and there are things that are not good. And right over here, somewhere right over here, is the balance of the world. There will always be things in our world that will be good, and there will always be things in our world that are not good. I'm not saying in our world. I am saying in the world. Our goal is always to choose holy. And yes, we refer to holy as good and unholy as not good. What is, What constitutes holy? If I say something unholy I have to go into great detail I say something that's that, that's vanity or, or, or unholy What am I doing in that in that moment? Am I an unholy person? Am I a bad person? You're
1: just, imbalanced.
0: just imbalancing myself mm-hmm. essentially I'm doing something unholy Giving my animal a little food, so now my animal just became a little stronger than my divine. The peace of God within me is a little is a little uh, more subdued because my animal just got some good food. Now. a very difficult question for you. My question tonight, if you want to really get into it, is if God is good, and God is good, we can make a lot of debates why bad things happen to good people, we're not going there tonight. Why things happen in this world to us, we're not going there. Because we have answers for them, but It's not for right now. But if God is good, then how did the holy and the unholy get divided? Do you follow me?
3: Mm -hmm. I'm getting a bunch of blank stares. Well, that's because we've been given free will and the possibility to disassociate from our holiness.
0: Basically... Basically what happens, and it took me a while as I was preparing for this class to really get a a good handle to try to explain it to you as best I can. Essentially, the division is because of two functions. The first function is the direct increase of God in this world. The second function is the indirect. So... Direct increase of God in this world means that God created things for what they are. There are certain things that were created in this world for what they are, exactly what they are. Now, the indirect things that God made as a means to, let's say, evil, essentially, evil helps us appreciate the good. The darkness helps us appreciate the light. So, is darkness a creation of its own, or is it the absence of light?
2: Absence of light.
0: It's the absence of light, according to Kabbalah. That means that if we were standing in a dark room and we lit a candle, is there any darkness? No. Is there a remnant of darkness?
4: Yeah. It's just less light.
0: Is there even an idea that the place was completely pitch dark? If, I, if, we, if you were to walk in once I lit the candle... And I were to say, Do you know that two minutes ago it was just pitch dark? You'd say, Okay, that's nice. Would you know that? Mm -hmm. No. So when you bring light into the room, not only is there no darkness, but there's not even a remnant of darkness. If you take a piece of paper and you write something on it with a pencil, and then you erase it, there's going to be a remnant of what you wrote before. Because the eraser erases, but can't completely erase, even on a computer. You think you're erasing a file. You're just erasing the link between that file and, 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 and the thing that's on your desktop. But it's still there, completely.
1: The when,
0: it comes to, when it comes to darkness, however, it's a different story. It's like it never was there. Completely not there from the beginning. Darkness never happened the moment you bring light into the situation. You're depressed, you're feeling down, winter's coming, Today was our first snowfall. Everyone woke up this morning. Even before half of us woke up, we looked on Facebook and everyone was already posting how terrible it is outside. We knew, oh no, do I want to get up? Do I want to face the day? Winter's here, it's like a shock to us every year, like it wasn't coming. We never knew it was about to happen. It's like, I don't live in Montreal, what do you mean? It's been gorgeous, it's great. We've had a great summer, a great fall. It's like a shock. Like, wow, it happened. So the same same idea is darkness never happens if you don't let it happen. You don't need darkness in your life. You only need darkness in your life when you're not appreciating the good. So if there's darkness in your life, the answer to combat the darkness is to appreciate the good is to put more focus on the good. Verbal focus, thought focus, and action focus on the good that we have. Now let's go to love for a second. I like talking about love.
3: Just
0: for a second. For a second. Okay fine. (laughs) We'll go to love for a little longer than a second. What is true love? True love looks something like this. If we love someone for who they are, that's love. If we love someone for what we can get from them, or how they make us feel, or for some kind of ulterior motive, that's not true love. Actually, you know what it is? It's hate. Because if you love them for what you think they can become, it means you don't love them for who they are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you love them, it's an absence of love. It's it's the darkness of love. Right, just like what well, absence. Of the yeah, darkness the, the absence. same way the dark the darkness is the absence of light. It's the absence of love. If you love them because how because of how they make you feel, then you hate them because you don't love them for who they are. If if you love me only for what you can get from me, then the me is despised. Actually, not only despised, but it's hated as well.
2: So what's indifference?
0: What is holiness? And holiness is an amazing thing. What is indifference? What is holiness? It's translucent. The definition of goodness. How do we know something is holy? When it's translucent. When it's transparent. It's the hardest thing to be. The hardest thing to be. It's the only way to have a successful relationship, to have a successful business, to have a successful anything is to be transparent. Not only transparent in your books, but transparent in you. Do you know how you know? When you get to a point where you say something and you don't remember where you heard it from, that was probably the best teacher you ever had. Because if you can internalize that, if you can internalize something to the extent where you forgot who told it to you, has it ever happened to you where you said something to someone and then a while later you heard they said it back to you as if it was their own? And you're like, you're about to say... I told you that. That is the greatest compliment. That is holiness. Don't steal the moment. Don't tell them that it was yours. That destroys the moment. It's not yours anymore, it's theirs now. It was never yours to begin with, right? (laughs) King Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. It was never yours, and it's not theirs either, but you used it for a time being, and you gave it over to them, so now they're using it. Mm-hmm. Yes, so let's, let's take some questions. Yeah, my question was, I mean, you're saying that if you have
1: a little light and it's dark, there's the absence of darkness,
3: but it's still sort of dark in the room, so... I don't
0: know. There's no such thing as sort of dark.
3: There's still darkness. It's not
0: Almost doesn't count. <laughs> there's no maybe, there's no... Facebook maybes. <laughs> yeah. There's no maybe. There's no almost dark. It's not almost dark, it's almost light.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Because dark is an absolute concept and light has di- different degrees to it. Shades. This is dark. So it it dark doesn't have shades also. Look, if I do this,
0: it's still light in this room. It's, is it dark in this room? Because there's light.
3: It's, it's darker. darker. It's no, darker. it's not. It's, it's lighter.
0: And we can, we can add more lamps
4: and make it even brighter. Yes. More lights and it's darker. That's right. No, no, but it's not darker. It's, less, it's not darker, it's less, it's less, less light. light. It's less light. It's right. less
0: light, and that's essentially what Kabbalah is trying to teach us here, is that there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness doesn't exist. It's just the degree of light that you have. Mm-hmm. It's so like yeah. the
1: universe. When you look
4: out, it's all black. There's stuff there, like the earth, but until the light, the sun's rays shine on it, then you, you don't see it. That's right. But it's there. It's right. interesting how Hashem provided us with the moon. No. The, you're saying the moon is, is a
0: the moon is but the moon is also not completely light of its own right it's the light that, it's a reflection from the sun right which is a whole different world which Kabbalah talks about that as well yes talking about evil how can you love
3: somebody that's evil how can you love someone that's evil because in the prayer books it does say stay away from evil people
0: it's right. You can't stay. You can't. You should stay away from evil people because they'll have an effect on you.
3: Right. So, if you're married to an evil person, what do you
1: do?
0: Get a divorce. What's <laughs> my question?
3: It's a mitzvah. Is that, to get a divorce. Yeah. yeah. So you is it. is it encouraged to get a divorce if you're married to an evil person? Absolutely.
0: There's nothing to do. One has nothing to do with the other. But if you want to know the ingredients to a successful relationship, mm-hmm. this is it. But if you're in a toxic relationship, there's no question about it. The Torah says there's divorces. There's a whole tractate of Talmud just on divorce. Hmm.
1: Really?
0: It's a mitzvah. I mean, it's one of the mitzvahs that no one should ever have to go through. But it happens to be that if someone's in a toxic situation where it really is so,
3: when it says stay away from evil people, they really mean it in a literal sense.
0: Absolutely. Shouldn't your light overpower their pripa? If you if you're that good, yeah, your light could overpower their klipa. But if you have to avoid them, that means yeah. I mean, it, the truth is, often people who want to rectify past situations, one of the ways to rectify it is to build up your light so that you can handle that darkness and that you can go back into that darkness and bring light into it instead of getting sucked into the, into the vortex of darkness. So now... What? It's a lot of work. A lot of work of self-refinement. Years and years of self-refinement. Now... <laughs> Holy. Let's get back to holy. Holy is transparent. Holy is translucent. God concealed himself in the process of creating the world. That's the translucency. God is right here. God is in this pen. There is a spark of holiness in this pen, but you can't see it because it's transparent. You know you're doing something good when you're transparent. So now what is unholy? Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a story from the Talmud. The Talmud says that there was once a sage. I forgot his name. It doesn't matter because it's not exactly the prettiest story.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the sage was walking down the road and he sees a man, and he says, how ugly can you be to the man? And the man looks at him and says, don't complain to me. (coughs) Excuse me. Complain to my creator. And then the Talmud goes into this incredible discussion about what the story means. <laughs> Essentially, he obviously wasn't physically ugly. Thank you. He wasn't physically ugly. He actually was spiritually ugly. He had completely disassociated himself from his spirituality. So the the, the scholar, the sage said to him, you're ugly, which means you're not spiritual. You have no spirituality in you. And when the man said, don't complain to me, complain to my creator, it was the first time in his life that he had acknowledged that there was a higher power.
3: Some things are your job.
0: I hear what you're saying. Things that are unholy are created from sitra achara. Achara means the other side. There's the front side and there's the back side. Holiness is from the front side. God desired holiness to be in this world. And then unholy is from the backside. God created it, but didn't desire it. God created it because it needed to be created in order for the world to be balanced. but it's not desired. God doesn't desire for us to get sucked into the vortex of unholiness. But God does desire like an emotional desire, the way we understand. Emotional desire for us to make this world a better place, for us to make this world a place that God wants to be. But God still created, even though God doesn't desire. Could you say it's like a test? It's not a, text. a not test. It's not a test. It's no. not a test because it's a test, and it becomes like a godly comedy show. <laughs> We don't, we don't want to say that it's a godly condition. So that's not fair to us, and it's not fair to the purpose of creation. Um, what? It's not that, not that straight.
3: Would it have to be with the beginning of the concepts where it has to do with contraction and expansion? so that it gets created within the contraction as, as, as a possibility or potential, well, but it's our choice to, it becomes our choice to go into
0: the, the dot? Right, all, all, all creation is within creation, right? God's pure essence There's no creation. God had to start creating in order for there to be creation. When God said, in the beginning, God created, literally, in the beginning, God started creating. And when God started creating the different levels, then that's when creation started. But for God to create holiness and unholiness, good and bad, it's a different level of creation because one creation was a desired creation, was a love creation, and the other one was maybe another type of creation. I don't want to say a fear creation. It's not really fear, but definitely a, 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 another type of creation. Let's, let's go a little further, and then I think it'll become clear. Now, I want to tell you something very interesting. I did not plan this once again. You want to know how perfect everything just kind of falls in line? Today's portion of Tanya is of what we're going to study tonight. There are 354 days of the year. There are 354 portions of Tanya we're studying today's. Go figure. We planned it. Huh? We planned it. Not planned. <laughs> Kabbalah further <laughs> delineates two distinct types of klipa. And this is where we get into the cuts of tonight's class. We have klipat noga. Not nugar, yes. noga. <laughs> Shalosh Kalipot. Yeah. I'm skipping around.
4: Okay.
0: <laughs> the bottom of the, the bottom of the second page. page. Khalipa Noga, literally, kalipa that can be illuminated. That's what it literally means. And then Shalosh Klipto Hatzmeot, the three totally impure kliptos. So Klipat Noga can be uplifted and refined. Well the only form of refinement or redemption for the three impure Klipot is their destruction. So some things in evil can be refined, and some things need to be destroyed. Let's talk about refining and destroying. One of the most incredible discoveries, the most horrific discoveries, yet the most revolutionary discoveries of the 21st century was a new form of disease. Until the 20th century, disease went something like this at a very basic level. I know there's some people here that can go further that... I'm just going very basic. Where there's something missing or damaged in the body. So what do you do? You prescribe something that will... you take, usually you take something, a pill or, a, or, a, or something that you take, that will fill that which is missing or fix that which is damaged. But somehow something happens in the 20th century. For the first time in history that we know of, documented history at least, we found a new type of disease. Heaven forbid no one should know of it. Not where there's something missing or damaged in the body, but rather where there's something added, a growth, a tumor. Now, if you're going to take a pill, someone we'll take a pill for a tumor well if you add to something that's added to that doesn't make sense so what do we have to do when we're curing people with such a terrible disease that no one should know of have to be destroyed the cells have to be destroyed and for the first time in the world we understand we have a unfortunate analogy for destruction, that you can heal through destruction, because what happened was, when people first started hearing about chemotherapy, they went crazy, what do you mean you're going to heal me through destroying? I want a pill, give me the pill, what do you mean destroy? You're going to destroy cells, oh, and you're going to take good cells also with it? That's part of the structure. The good comes with the bad as well. That's Shalosh Klibur me'ot. There are things in this world that must be destroyed. There are things in our lives that must be destroyed. There are things that we can change. Even though they're bad today, we can make them good. Even though they're dark today, we can make them light. And there's some things that will never be light. So God created things just to have them destroyed. Yes. Absolutely. Or, things that that you shouldn't touch. Like the tree of knowledge. Like the tree of knowledge. Why create it? Because it gives us free choice. If it wasn't there, the tree of knowledge wasn't there, there would be no free choice. If God created paradise, and didn't put the tree there, there would have been no free choice. So yes, God created it, but the tree of knowledge falls under the category of the three unclean cleat boats. Don't touch it. Is disease
2: included in that too?
0: Disease already is an aftermath, so it's very complicated to put, the, to, put, to put disease as a blanket in there. There are certain parts yes and certain parts no. I'm
2: just trying to make the connection with free will and
0: disease and I don't see one. There's no connection between free will and disease. I am just use that as an analogy to understand that things need to be destroyed in order to become healthy. That if we want to become healthier, there's things that we have to destroy. Now, the chariot of the prophet Ezekiel, in, the, in there, he talks about the three young king, Klipot. He calls them a whirlwind, a great cloud, and a blazing fire. Where Klippot Noga, what does he describe as? Translucence. Noga, translucence, around it. From the three impure klippot flow and derive the souls of all living creatures that are not kosher, as well as the existence of all forbidden food in the vegetable kingdom, such as arla, the first three years of the fruit of a tree, the existence and vitality of all actions, utterances, and thoughts pertaining to the 365 negative commandments and their offshoots also flows from these klippot Everything in the realm of holiness has an opposite in the realm of the profane. Everything in holiness has a counterpart in evil. If there's something really holy, there must be a counterpart to balance it out. Not necessarily in your life, but in your world, but in the world. Now, if you don't consciously work in the world of good, your life will constantly try to balance it out. It will balance it out for you. So you'll have something extremely good and there's something extremely bad. You're like, well, why, why do they come together? Why do we sit at the Seder table, at the Passover Seder table? Why do we sit the wise son with the wicked son? Why can't we put the wicked son on the other side of the table? But they're right next to each other. It says the wise and the wicked. Just like that. Put them on the other side of the table because that's part of life. In life, there's the wise and the wicked. And if you don't consciously go to the wise, life will balance you out to both. Everything in the physical world has a spiritual counterpart from which it derives its existence and vitality. The animal soul and the souls of the kosher creatures and the existence and vitality of the entire inanimate and and entire vegetative world is, that's permissible for consumption, and the existence and vitality of every act, utterance, and thought in mundane matters that contain no forbidden aspect, whether performed for the sake of heaven or not, all come from the translucent, from klipat noga. God created one thing opposite the other. We have two souls: the godly soul, nafshelukit, which is comprised of ten soul powers, whose source is in the supernal sefirot, and it's juxtaposed with the animal soul. We have a godly soul and an animal soul, also each possessing ten soul powers. The soul powers of the divine soul strive from holiness, and the soul powers of the animal soul long for kelipa. These two souls vie for control of the person's thoughts, speech, and action, which are often referred to as garments of the soul. A person is constantly faced with a choice to either flood the soul garments with holiness or garments of unholiness. If a person allows the animal soul control of the mind, then the soul garments may be contaminated by the impurities of the animal drive. These impurities are vain and they ruin the spirit. Yeah.
2: Like if the godly soul goes to the animal soul, uh, will it contaminate it as well? Or how does it work? If the... Like you said, the animal soul <coughs> should not take over the godly
0: soul. That's right.
2: And is it the other way around as well? Uh,
0: no. The godly soul should... Mind over heart. 51 to 49. Now, let's talk about this, the following. We have intellect, we have our mind, and we have our hearts. We have our emotions. Things in the animal. Things in kalipa start off in the heart and then enter the mind. Things in holiness start off in the mind and enter the heart. If there's one thing you remember from tonight... It's that. Things, you want to know if it's right, it's got to start in the brain. If it starts in the heart, it's probably wrong. Think about all the good choices you make in your life, think about all the bad choices you've made in your life, and you'll probably find that common denominator amongst both. If it starts off in the heart, it's from the animal. If it starts off in the brain, it's from the, the godly. It's from holiness.
4: But is the brain connected to the right side of the heart? It is. So, cause, so what But it is, doesn't.
0: But it doesn't. It's only connected to the right side of the heart when it's battling the left side of the heart.
4: Right when it goes down to the right. On. But there should be a connection there somewhere because I mean, if 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 the left side of the heart is where the animal soul lives and the nefesh the, uh, keep lives in the, the brain, what's going on,
0: on the right side of the From what I understand, I don't know that much about biology, but you'll tell me if I'm wrong. That, and please, I, I apologize for my really poor illustration of the heart. I know I, I feel really inferior to some of the people sitting in this room, but I shall do it nonetheless. <laughs> I believe that there are two ventricles and two atriums. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And the blood comes in through the right atrium and goes out to the left ventricle. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this a correct... Uh, okay. So, this is where the animal is. That's the left side, right? The godlies in the brain. I'm not going to just draw the brain, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the extent of my... Brain my anatomy for the day. So, um, the, the godly soul is in the brain. Now, what happens is they both, the, the animal has complete control over the body. Why? Because all the blood, the blood is everywhere. So the animal has complete mastery over the body because the blood is everywhere. So there's nothing we can do. Not only is the animal complete mastery over the body, but when we're born, we are born with a complete animal soul. It's perfect. And it takes 12 or 13 years for our divine soul to become complete. So our animal soul has controlled our body for the first 12 or 13 years of our life. By the way, you want to know what Bar Bar Mitzvah is? You know now what it is. That's really what it is. It's when the divine soul becomes complete.
4: It's interesting because before you bar mitzvah, you're not you're not uh, responsible for, for your for your for your, for your actions
0: exactly. And it's because you're not making the choices. That's right. right. Exactly. But so does
2: it the blood goes to the
0: brain also? So the animal has complete mastery because the blood goes to the brain. So now, how is the divine soul gonna ever get mastery over the body?
1: Well, you remove the heart, you see
0: what essentially what we want. Essentially what we want is we want all the passions and all the emotions and all the desires and all the anger and the frustration and all that stuff that our animal is really good at. We want to use it for holiness. That's what we want. We want to hone the animal to to be able to be get excited about holiness.
3: We train our pets, you know, we take in wild, f- feral animals, we bring them into our homes, we call them pets, and we train them so that they can do good things like make us happy and things. But in the same way, we need the animals. So, so from one to two, we need the animals, everything that makes us grow. We can't grow without the animal soul, our cells can't divide it, you know, so somewhere along the line. You make it sound like the animal is something bad we want to get rid of, and all we, I think we have to do is make it do mitzvot. vote It has to it be home. we need that, that's the energy that, that makes us, helps us bring the books in here. It's the energy that helps us take them out when you have too many books in here. It's, uh, you know, it's kilt it's, it's all about the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's... But, but we need the animal soul. We, we don't want to ever get rid of it. We'll die. We, we will die without the, the, the animal so soul essentially to move is, our limbs.
0: Essentially, exactly. is we need to take the animal soul. And, tame it. and we need to not even less than, not even tame it, we need to hone it, we need to guide it, we need to, we need to, 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 to build it in the, right, in the right way, right? Because here we are battling over this Kabbalah, so really what we're doing is, it first went to our brain, and then we got emotional about it. That's good, that's holy. But when we get emotional, and then we start thinking, we're already out of control. That's when imbalance happens. The
3: mind added to the animal has the potential to make it evil because animals are not evil.
0: Well, we, we we refer to the animal. I'll tell you why we call it the animal. We call it the animal is because according to Kabbalah, the animal doesn't have free will. The animal doesn't have its own it's it's just it's just completely um, it's completely instinctive. Completely instinctive. Reactive. It it's reactive. It 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 eats, it sleeps, it, it, whatever it does, it just feels, it's instinctual, it impulse. just feels, it, 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 the impulse comes, and that, then it does. So, essentially, we can lower ourselves to a level of an animal, by just being impulsive, completely impulsive. Consciousness-wise. And consciousness-wise, of course. But we have the ability to go medaber, to go through our speech, through our actions, to be able to go rise higher. And that's why our brain, the fact that we have reason, and we have the ability to process things, in our mind, and to actually con- converse. Yes, we know the animals have language, but they don't have language to the to the point that we have language.
2: But but the animal isn't there. is not there a schema of uh, should be an animal even below the heart, because the spiritual, the emotional, and then there the, is the animal.
3: Yeah, that, I I agree with him. Yeah, so that spiritual, road, emotional, say road has spiritual and emotional, and animal, in, in emotional. And this lower, which is and the, the It's called the practical,
0: the practical. And
3: that's the part. The
0: point is that yeah. what we're doing is removing downward motion instead of upward motion.
3: But why don't you divide it into the two? I
0: do, I do divide it. But oh, well, okay. we did divide it, we divided it, when we did the sephirot, we divided it into the intellectual, the emotional, and the practical. Okay,
3: you call it practical.
0: We call it the practical. Right.
3: But when, you, when you're talking about animals and things, it's the yeah, But the animal the soul sensual. is different, not to be, not to yeah. be confused with the, the three last sefirot.
0: It's not to be conclusive the animal soul. The animal soul is more that the instinct, it's more of the 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 its, it's needs.
3: But we, that's where you, you 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 act without choice. Without right. choice. No, it's, it, but it's without choice. It's the lower. No, that's what being oh, reactive
2: right. and
4: emotional and impulsive is. It's without yeah, choice. It's no, way. they're se- yeah.
3: they're separate because you can you can choose not, to react without.
2: No, but without when you're emotional, you're not choosing. It just happens. You actually don't have any control uh, over it. I, I, you know
3: I wanna I, I these, want I wanna read you something.
0: Can can I wanna read you something. It happens to be. Yeah, sure
2: something very quickly here uh, that will make, uh, we'll round it up perhaps a little bit. The thing is, the gods, there is a gods, there is a heart, and there is a spiritual level. Uh, in ancient times, for example, when Judaism came to the ancient Middle East, was goddesses worship, there is a goddesses that they combated so much. They call her Sarama, which is actually, uh, is a dog headed goddesses. And that dog headed goddesses represent the gods that colonize the spirit. But also, the gods can colonize the heart and can colonize the spirit. So, there is this schema of three worlds that are interrelated with each other. And that's what happened. There is also very quickly a phenomenon. That he call it. Sorry to call it that way, but I, I I ordered an article from Paris. It's called the Wandering Womb Phenomenon. And the Wandering, the Wandering Womb Phenomenon is when the gods uh, sort of metaphorically colonize the heart and then colonize the brain. So that's the Wandering Womb Phenomenon. Something you feel in the gods, but it overwhelms. And it goes to the heart or the mind and
0: it, it could be gas. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it could be gas. Yeah, it could that I, I, Yeah. You're saying the decision you make from top down yeah. that is because that would be uh of, like to say of, of a shaman, like
4: would be more of a godly way of yeah. doing Well that's,
0: that's essentially that's essentially what it is. But it becomes so a godly right, way of doing it.
4: dark
2: side of the heart. That's
0: yes so. so I want to today um, nothing's by chance right? So I was uh, I was um, watching a, a video of, uh, of the Rebbe, blessed memory of him speaking. And this is what he said. So I just translated it right off the video. Uh, and here's about the best translation I can give you. I want to read it to you. Why is there bad, not good in the world? Why is there, he, he, he says, why is there not good in the world? He never says, Why is there bad in the world? Why are there things that are not good? Why did God create a person with two inclinations? Creating a person with an inclination towards sin as well. He continues to say, It's meant to bring out the true nature of a person. Despite the evil inclination which disturbs them with clever arguments the person is not influenced nor impressed. They're not even disheartened and continues their service to fulfill God's will. They realize that God wants to be loved. Like it says, with all your hearts. It says hearts. He says, with both inclinations. And love your God with all your might. The evil inclination must only be silenced, must not only be silenced, but transformed. The intensity, passion, and energy of the evil inclination must be transformed from the negative, are now channeled into a love of God, like it says, the Lord, your God. The love of God is a motivation to fulfill all the positive commandments, including The commandment to fear God, that also comes from love, the commandment to fear God, which encompasses the 365 negative commandments, which together make up 613, which are all the commandments. So love of God inspires all the commandments, the the entire service of one's maker. One must also utilize one's body, animal soul, and one's possessions, that they too participate and contribute to the service of God. And the general mission of serving God is to instill godliness into everything in the world, all the while the evil inclination must be faithful to its mission for which it was created, endeavoring to prevent the person from serving God. This creates an internal battle, making it necessary to fight the negative inclination. We are assured that God assists. When our desire is genuine, and we do all we can, then God assists us in winning the battle. This victory can come in various stages and types. One way is for the good to be victorious in this conflict. Such a victory is called subjugation, hiskafia. There's also a more complete victory, whereas the person serves God with all their hearts, both inclinations, which is hisapcha. The person transforms the evil inclination, it is not an end to hostility. It's a reversal. Essentially, his enemies make peace with him, which refers to the evil inclination, that the evil assists the person to be more successful, increases the passion, which essentially creates balance in the person. So what he said. with all this thought of evil, with all the, this difficult class. Last week, it's all balanced, right? Last week we got all the nice emotional uh, touching things. Tonight we got into the, to some, some heavy stuff. But what are we going to come out with tonight? What, what practical? What's real that we can come out with and say, this week is going to be different? This week of light? This week where there's no darkness? Every single day of this week, From the beginning of the week to the end of the week. Every single day of the seven days. It's only happened, the last time this happened was 20 years ago. Where we had one full week of light. Shabbat started on the first day. uh, Sorry, Hanukkah started on the first day and it's ending on the last day. We have one complete week from Sunday to Sunday of light. So on this week where Every single night, we're increasing light. What can we take practical? It's an amazing opportunity to to change, to, to have something, to take home something that will guide us and will inspire us. I think that if we had to bring it all together, it's understanding the negativity in our lives because when you have so much light that's when you can start talking about darkness it's hard to talk about darkness when you're in the dark
1: because
0: you can't see anything but now that we have so much light let's talk about darkness let's talk about how we can pull ourselves up from the darkness there's two types of darkness there's darkness that can be transformed And there's darkness that must be destroyed. The darkness that's transformed are things that are potentially good. Because right now they're not good. For example, something is potentially good. I can take my quarter. put it in a slot machine or I can take my quarter and put it in a Sadaka box.
1: It's
0: the same quarter. The slot machine is not good and can't be transformed. The quarter is either good or bad. It's indifferent but has the potential to be good or bad. And there are many things in our lives that have the potential to be good or bad, of which we must choose good. And then there are some things in our lives that are toxic. They cannot be changed. They must be destroyed. It's a very harsh, very difficult reality. What's funny is if we you, if you look at our lives... I don't want to put too many analogies on this because we all look at it differently and we all have different lives and we all have different struggles in our lives. But if we look at our lives, we'll see there are sometimes the things that need to be destroyed are the things we try to transform and the things that we try to transform are the things that we need to be destroyed. It's amazing how there's so many things that we constantly and constantly we're trying to figure out why Why do I keep on coming up? Why does it keep on I hit a brick wall and a brick wall and a brick wall? Those days are over. I can tell you if you want to ask me what the greatest shift of the 21st century has been it has been the search for truth. We're done trying to so to speak, beat around the bush. We're done trying to sugarcoat things. Placebos don't work anymore. They work in medicine, but they don't work anywhere else. (laughs) Our world, our beings, our existence, our souls want the essence. We want the real thing. One of the most amazing things in the Jewish world today is the, is the, is the almost complete obliteration of the conservative movement. And people have been talking, it's the, it's the big talk in the, in the rabbinic world today, about the, that the conservative movement's on a tremendous decline, tremendous. There's conservative synagogues all over the U.S. closing up shop. Chicago alone, there's 15 in the past three years that have closed, and the primary reason that they're saying this is happening is because if people want a Jewish experience in our world today, they want it authentic. And there was a point in time where people wanted to kind of break those barriers and those boundaries, and it had a purpose, it had a place. And we're not speaking against it. It had a very important place. But what we're seeing is a, a drastic change where people, if I have, if I make time, I just know about myself, if I make time in my busy, in my busy schedule for something spiritual, I want to know that it's the whole thing. I want the complete story. I don't want a watered-down version of whatever it is. And I think that is where we're headed. That's who we are. We just want the whole thing. Don't... Give us some kind of nice answer that's gonna smile and and and, and ha- it's great for today, it's not gonna work for today. Because it didn't work for our parents either. And it's definitely not gonna work for our kids. Whether our kids or the world's kids. It's not working for young people today. Because a young person today doesn't see any purpose in continuing the Jewish people. Why? For what? because it was a holocaust, that's not a good enough reason. So this drastic change in the world is affecting us personally. It's the drastic change in our life. There was a point in time where people followed Tony Robbins and people followed these self-help gurus because It was good for the moment and that's what we needed. We needed to get up out of the darkness. And they had a tremendous value in lifting people up out of the darkness. Well, here we are, we're out of the darkness, now what? It's not good enough anymore. We need something more substantial. Now, I built it up. What are we gonna have more substantial? The answer is, ourselves. We have to go back within. We have to take the light, take the inspiration and go back within and find the peace in our heart. We're not saying destroy the heart. We're saying hone the heart. Find that emotional spark that drives us, that's going to keep us going, that's going to keep inspiring us, that's going to keep building us, that's going to make us better. We do that through one idea that we spoke about tonight. The top down. First start in the brain, then go to the heart. Don't build it up in the heart, because who, what is our essence really? You want to know where your soul is? Your soul is in your brain. Really? Yes. Your soul is in your brain. You have another soul, that soul is also in the heart. But the source is in the brain. It can get very complicated. We can, go into, we, we, we can go into different levels. I'm talking very basic here. I'm talking about recapturing the imagination.
2: When the heart is purified, it becomes a simple
0: But the heart needs the brain to purify it. Right. So it has to start in the brain. Everything holy starts in the brain. Everything unholy starts in the heart. Not saying what happens eventually. We're talking about the source. Everything boils down to the beginning. Where is the beginning? Where is your source? Because there are things that look holy that are not holy. Because everything in holy has something opposite that's not holy. The world is balanced. You can have two things that look exactly the same. I don't know. My greatest example personally, I know it doesn't apply to everyone, but my greatest example personally is I can be in the grocery store and I can see two bottles and one is kosher and one is not. You can't tell the difference. They're exactly the same besides two words on it. We were doing an Asian dinner here and they asked me to get hoisin sauce and I went and I saw two bottles literally one next to the other so I grabbed one and I came back and it wasn't kosher. There was two things different than the bottle. One said hoisin sauce No symbol. The other one said vegetarian hoisin sauce symbol. Literally two things different in the bottle. You can barely even notice the difference. That's the best example I can give. There are things in this world, in our lives, that are exactly the same. They look exactly the same, but they're complete opposites. And it's very important that we use our mind to be able to differentiate between the good and the evil. It's important that we start from our mind. Even if it will eventually get to our heart, and our heart needs to be there. It needs to be in the picture in everything we do because it drives us and it motivates us. If I wouldn't speak tonight with my heart, you would be all sleeping. You're already half sleeping.
2: How
0: do you know when you're at that magical 51-49? You're never there, as far as you're concerned. Right? You look at yourself... You look at yourself with the, with the left eye. You look at yourself with the left eye. You look at the world with the right eye. As far as I'm concerned, you're there. As far as you're concerned, you're not there.
3: How do you find that spark?
0: How do you find that spark? Right in the candles. You see the remnants? They're there. In the embers. That's where you find the spark. When we
4: get the good link of last week's seminar, of uh, last week's uh, class, listen to that, that'll be good spark.
2: It really takes a lot of uh, many, many years of work and meditation.
0: But it has to start somewhere. You can't scare, you can't scare them away until, until you start. They have to start. You have to start working and developing and becoming better. And only through that can we truly experience what Hanukkah is can we truly experience that idea of light over darkness? We have to see the light in our lives as light. We have to see the cup as half-full. We have to start looking at the world through the lens of light. And if we have to take a flashlight around with us and shine it at the world to make sure that it lights up, let's do it. Because we must, we must walk into this winter months. As winter, I guess, officially started today, In this city, we have to walk into these winter months with joy, with hope, and with light.